imagine that it's the summer of 1956 when you're in Memphis, Tennessee, a city cloaked in heat and humidity. You're just outside of town on a railroad crossing. A passenger train looms into view, one coming from New York City, a 28-hour ride. It comes to a stop, but not at any kind of station. One young man hops off carrying his suitcase and a memory of appearing just a few days before on The Steve Allen Show. It's Elvis Presley. He has to get off here. If he rode all the way into the Memphis station, he would be overwhelmed by his fans who think nothing of tearing his clothes off of him just to get a souvenir or writing their phone numbers in lipstick on his new Lincoln. He starts walking to the house he's just bought for his parents, and for one of the few times that year, he's totally alone. At this point, Elvis Presley is just about exactly midway through the most tumultuous year of his life, 1956, a year he begins as a virtual unknown and ends as the most celebrated entertainer in the country, pursued by his fans, pressured by the press, castigated by the clergy, and trying all the while to stay true to his roots, his role as his mother's blessed son, and his music. I'm starting to think that maybe we should do a potluck thing. Potluck, potluck. The potluck is going really great. A potluck. Seriously. Seriously. This is the Incredible Inman's Pop Culture Potluck. Welcome to the Potluck. I'm David Inman. You probably already know how this story begins. Elvis Presley, a Memphis truck driver, walks into the Sun Recording Studio in 1954. He tells the owner, Sam Phillips, he's there to make a recording for his mother, Gladys. But there's more to it, of course. A desire to make it big in show business that's been burning in him since he was a child. The session starts slowly. Presley and his musician friends, Bill Black and Scotty Moore, don't seem to know what they want to perform. Then Elvis picks up his guitar, on which he knows a few chords, and plays That's Alright Mama. Sam Phillips has been around long enough to know there's something special here, and he signs Elvis to a contract. Elvis records a few more songs that succeed regionally, and he starts touring the South as part of the Louisiana Hayride where he meets a ruthlessly clever promoter who calls himself Colonel Tom Parker. What happens to Elvis Presley in 1956 is all according to Parker's plan. It's the perfect mating of client and promoter. Parker is looking for a singer who can top all the charts, pop, country, and R&B. No one has ever done it with any degree of success. Parker's also looking for a musician with the good looks and haunted charisma of the recently deceased James Dean. Someone who can sing, but maybe also could act in the movies. Presley just wants to perform and to make enough money to take care of his perpetually impoverished parents. So Presley signs with Parker, and Parker starts talking to the major record labels. He's convinced that Sun Records is small potatoes. In late 1955, Presley signs with RCA Victor, 
the company pays $35,000 to buy Presley's contract from Sun. As the new year of 1956 is rung in, Parker is working on the next phase of Operation Elvis, getting him on network TV. That happens on January 28th when Elvis goes to CBS Studios in New York City to appear on a Saturday night program called Stage Show. It's co-hosted by big band leaders and battling brothers, Tommy and Jimmy Dorsey. The main reason it's even on the air at all is Jackie Gleason. In early 1955, Gleason's hour-long Saturday night variety show was one of the most popular on TV, but Gleason tells CBS executives that for the 1955-56 season, he only wants to do The Honeymooners, a half-hour show, each week. He pressures CBS into accepting stage show, which he will produce, to fill the other half-hour. Elvis was one of three guests on that January 28th show. The other two were singer Sarah Vaughn and comic banjo player Gene Sheldon. The audience is only about two-thirds full. There is a bigger crowd at the roller rink next door. Some of the Dorsey band members are put off by Presley's sideburns, his loud clothes, and his heavily oiled pompadour. But Elvis listens respectfully to the show's director and does what he's told. Elvis opens with Shake, Rattle, and Roll, and everyone in Memphis is watching. Local reporter Bob Johnson later wrote, Presley puts intensity into his songs. Over-emotional? Yes. But he projects. He sells. But you can't throw that much into something without it telling. It'll wear him out. It will exhaust him emotionally and physically. If he's wise, he'll slow down a little and live another 20 years. Presley does for music what Marlon Brando and James Dean did for acting. He emphasizes emotion over technique. And it will never be more evident than in the song he records just a few days later at RCA Studios, one that will be his breakthrough hit. Well, since my baby left me, well, I found a new place to dwell. Well, it's down at the end of Lonely Street, that heartbreak hotel. So lonely, I'll be so lonely, I could die. Although it's always crowded, you still can find some room for broken hearted lovers to cry there in the gloom. Be so, I'll be so lonely, baby. I'll be so lonely, I'll be so lonely. Airing opposite stage show and beating it in the ratings is The Perry Como Show. Como's big hit at this time is a song that's about as far away from Heartbreak Hotel as you can get. Kiss that away, bring me bliss that away. What a kiss that away, what a wonderful feeling to feel that away. Tell me where have you been all my life? Oh, hot ziggity dog, ziggity boom. What you do to me? It's so new to me. What you do to me? Hot Elvis plays Heartbreak Hotel on his third stage show appearance. 
but it's nothing like the record. The Dorsey brothers' band backs him awkwardly, and trumpeter Charlie Shavers takes a solo as Elvis smiles in a sickly way. But it doesn't hurt the sales of the song. By the end of March, Colonel Parker's dream has come true. Heartbreak Hotel tops all three charts, pop, country, and R&B. Among the list of RCA's 25 best-selling songs, Elvis has six. And he releases an album that sells 300,000 copies almost immediately. On March 24th, Elvis makes his sixth and final appearance on Stage Show. He's more polished and more relaxed. At the end of the show, Jimmy Dorsey tells viewers that Elvis is headed to Hollywood for a screen test. In Hollywood, Elvis impresses everyone with his humility and his willingness to listen to their advice. The screen test is successful and producer Hal Wallace signs him for three pictures. Then on April 3rd, Elvis makes the first of two appearances on The Milton Berle Show, which is being broadcast live from the deck of an aircraft carrier docked in San Diego. When Berle meets Elvis, he hands him a contract, which is snatched from his hands by the colonel. Don't show that boy that contract, he snaps. When Elvis and his band set up to rehearse, the musicians in the band, including drummer buddy Rich, are not impressed. And when they start playing blue suede shoes, Rich says loudly, this is the worst. But Buddy Rich is not Elvis's target audience. For the show, Elvis enters dressed totally in black except for a white tie, belt, and shoes, and sings Heartbreak Hotel for the audience of sailors and their girlfriends, who are much more enthusiastic. But the show goes well, and Elvis is scheduled to return on June 5th. Next, he's scheduled for a two-night stand at the new San Diego Arena, playing to a crowd of 5,000 each night. On the second night, things start to get out of hand. Elvis's female fans scream unceasingly and cause so much commotion that police and the shore patrol are called out. But the cops aren't the ones who calm things down. Elvis steps to the microphone, says, sit down or the show ends, and the crowd quiets immediately. After the show, he's taken to a barricaded dressing room and waits inside for half an hour while his fans pound at the doors and windows. Then his entourage forms a kind of flying wedge and gets him into his Cadillac for an escape. The girls outside, unaware he's gone, don't disperse for another 90 minutes. The next stop is Las Vegas for a last-minute booking at the New Frontier Hotel with Freddie Martin and his band and comic Shecky Green. A giant photo of Elvis is mounted outside the hotel with a sign that reads, Extra Added Attraction, Elvis Presley, the Atomic-Powered Singer. Celebrities drop by for Elvis's show, Liberace, Ray Bolger, Phil Silvers. Liberace and Elvis mug it up for the newsreel cameras. Elvis also loves seeing a group playing the lounge at the Sands, an act called Freddie Bell and the Bell Boys. One of their songs captures his fancy. It's called Hound Dog. On June 5th, Elvis opens his second appearance on the Milton Berle show with Hound Dog. The viewing audience is huge. It's the first time that Berle has beaten his competition, the Phil Silver Show, all season. But a backlash is beginning, at least from parents and other adult authority figures, who take aim at Elvis's uninhibited dance moves. 
comedians are starting to refer to him as Elvis the Pelvis. The New York Times writes, Elvis's one specialty is an accented movement of the body that hitherto has been primarily identified with the repertoire of the blonde bombshells of the burlesque runway. Elvis responds, I'm not trying to be sexy. It's just my way of expressing how I feel when I move around. My movements are all leg movements. I don't do nothing with my body. Elvis's next TV gig comes up July 1st on The Steve Allen Show. At that time, Allen is hosting this weekly variety series and The Tonight Show. He promises The Tonight Show audience that Elvis will act like a gentleman on his show, and Allen has a plan to make that happen. His writers have come up with the idea of Elvis singing Hound Dog to a real dog while wearing white tie and tails. with the great vocal group, the George Mayers, in the background. Elvis, your new record hit, I, I predict it's going to be one, because I've heard you rehearse it. You're going to record it tomorrow, called Hound Dog. I got you a very cute little hound dog right here. And away you go. Who's that? <laughs> Elvis is actually a pretty good sport about the whole thing. He even holds the dog's face in his hands while he sings to it. That night's show beats its competition, The Ed Sullivan Show, in the ratings. Someone asks Sullivan what he thinks about Elvis, and he says, He's not my cup of tea. Ten days later, Elvis is booked for three appearances on The Ed Sullivan Show for an unprecedented $50,000. On July 13th, a single is released with Hound Dog on one side and Don't Be Cruel on the other, and it goes gold within a week. On August 17th, Elvis arrives in Hollywood to begin filming The Reno Brothers at 20th Century Fox. The film's producer is David Weisbart, who also produced Rebel Without a Cause, and Elvis is thrilled to be working with him. Weisbart returns the compliment, telling a reporter, Elvis is simply a kid who is emotionally honest and honestly emotional. Elvis does an interview as well, speculating about why he's so popular. He says, I know why girls, at least the youngins, go for us. We're sullen, we're brooding, we're something of a menace. I don't understand it exactly, but that's what the girls like in men. I don't know anything about Hollywood, but I know you can't be sexy if you smile. You can't be a rebel if you grin. Then Elvis demonstrates his emotional side by responding to a Florida minister who savagely criticized Elvis in Life magazine. This man was supposed to be a religious leader, yet he acted that way without ever knowing who I was or what I was like. I don't believe I'd sing the way I do if God hadn't wanted me to. My voice is God's will, not mine. It's decided that Elvis will sing a song or two in his first movie, and the film's title is changed to the same title as one of the songs, Love Me Tender. When he isn't filming, Elvis hangs out with three of the stars of Rebel Without a Cause, Nick Adams, Dennis Hopper, and Natalie Wood. Wood and Adams even go on to visit him in Memphis. On September 9th, Elvis appears for the first time on The Ed Sullivan Show. 
Ironically, Sullivan isn't there. He's recuperating from a car accident. Charles Lawton is the guest host. Elvis performs with a police escort just off stage, and the show reaches 80% of the TV audience. Once filming of Love Me Tender is completed, the plan is to release it at Thanksgiving with 575 prints, more than any 20th Century Fox film to that time. The original plan is for Elvis's character to be killed at the end of the movie, but there's an outcry and the movie ends instead with the living Elvis singing Love Me Tender superimposed over his character's dead body. In November, Colonel Parker negotiates a new contract with RCA. In the course of about six months, Elvis has sold over 10 million singles. Love Me Tender opens in New York City on November 15th at the Paramount Theater in Times Square with a giant photo of Elvis towering over the street. The first showing is at 8 a.m., and truant officers comb the crowd looking for anyone playing hooky. In mid-December, Elvis heads back to Memphis for the holidays. Writer-director Hal Cantor flies into town to talk to Elvis about his next movie. Cantor, a writer for everyone from Bob Hope to George Goebel to Jerry Lewis, is skeptical about whether Elvis is a flash in the pan. But he accompanies Elvis to a concert and is won over by his talent and by the way the crowd reacts to him. He later wrote, I saw a young girl open her purse and take out a Kleenex, and she wiped her hand on Elvis's car, took some dust, put it in her Kleenex, and folded it and put it back in her purse. And I thought, my God, I've never seen any kind of devotion like this anywhere about anything. I'm a man who saw Al Jolson on the stage, and he never had anything like the reception that Al Jolson got until Elvis Presley. And he made Al Jolson seem like a passing fancy. Cantor goes back to Hollywood to work on the script for Loving You, again, a title based on one of the songs that Elvis sings in the movie. On January 4, 1957, Elvis reports for his physical. He will be inducted into the Army in a few months. And then there's a third and final appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show, where he thanks fans for the 282 teddy bears they've sent him. For his final number, he chooses a change of pace. Now he's going to sing a song. Uh, he feels that this is sort of in the mood that he'd like to create. Peace in the Valley. Here is Elvis Presley. Well, I'm tired and so weary, but I mustn't go alone till the Lord comes and calls, calls me away. Oh, 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 me. Oh, Lord, I pray. 
Lawrence as he goes to the coast now for his new picture. This will be the last time that we'll run each into each other for a while. But I, now wait a minute. I wanted to say to Elvis Presley in the country that this is a real, decent, fine boy. And wherever you go, Elvis. guys who accompany you over there. We want to say that we've never had a pleasanter experience on our show with a big name than we've had with you. You're, you're thoroughly all right. So now, let's have a tremendous hand for a very nice... Going forward, Elvis's fee will be $300,000 for two guest appearances and an hour-long special. But there won't be many more TV appearances. The Colonel wants him to concentrate on movies and recording. In other words, whether you listen to him on a jukebox or buy his records or purchase a movie ticket, you are always paying to see Elvis. Elvis heads home to spend his 22nd birthday with his parents before leaving for the coast. And a few days later, he goes to the train station. That's where we leave Elvis, where we first found him, on a train. But this time he's leaving Memphis to go to Hollywood and make his second film. At the station, he stocks up on Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, comic books, and movie magazines. And then he's gone. When I look out into your eyes out there, when I look out into your faces, you know what I see? I see a little bit of Elvis in each and every one of you out there. Let me tell you, well, J. Fox has no Elvis in him. Oh. Yeah, and Elvis is in Joan Rivers, but he's trying to get out, man. He's trying to get out. Listen up, Joni, baby. Elvis is everywhere. Elvis is everything. The Incredible Inman's Pop Culture Potluck is written, researched, and narrated by me, David Inman. Thanks for listening. If you listen to us on iTunes, please consider subscribing to the show and also rating us. That helps other people find us. See you later. Yeah, maybe see guys walking down the street pushing shopping carts. And you think they're talking to Allah? They're talking to themselves, man. No, they're talking to Elvis. 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 You know what's going on that Bermuda Triangle? Down the Bermuda Triangle, Elvis needs votes.